This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Like so many medical topics in the news, we can be overwhelmed by the amount of information and feel like we're in sensory overload. Not to mention, how do you know which information is valid? Our guest this evening is Dr. Neil Stallman. Recently, he was our guest and we learned a great deal about diverticulitis. And now we're very pleased that he's returning to discuss another timely topic, the microbiome. Dr. Neil Stallman, Associate Professor of Medicine at University of California, San Francisco, Chairman of Division of Gastroenterology at Alta Bates Summit Medical Center in Oakland, California. He's nationally recognized for his extensive research and expertise in many areas of GI and has held leadership positions in our national societies, including the American College of Gastroenterology, the American Gastroenterological Association, and he frequently teaches at these national meetings and in training programs. Welcome back, Neil. Thank you, Marianne. Appreciate it. So, Neil, there is so much information here. Let's get right to it. What is the microbiome? Sure. Thanks for for starting. Well, we can even start with words, right? The words are even confusing here. There's lots of terms that are that are put out, and I think we're going to use them, you and I, um, interchangeably. But we talk about the microbiome or the microbiota or the biome per se. And I will tend there. There are subtle scientific differences between that those semantically, but I think for today we can really use them interchangeably. And what we mean by that is basically the bugs, and I'm using that very non precise, non scientific term intentionally. The bugs that kind of live in us and on us and around us. We are very well colonized. And, and by the way, it's not just bacteria, right? We, we tend to think of bugs as bacteria. It's bacteria, it's fungi, it's phages, it's viruses. There is a zoo that lives inside us, onside us, and in all our little nooks and crannies. And we call that collectively the biome. Now, uh, 
in our little world, you and I, we really are, when we say the biome, what we mean most specifically is the gut biome specifically, or the GI tract biome, which is its own ecosystem compared with your hair biome or your skin biome or your vaginal biome or your ear canal biome. Those are all biomes too. Um, but we're going to talk mostly today when I use the phrase biome, I'm going to be talking largely about the gut biome. That is the bugs that live inside us. Neil, that was a great uh, profile uh, and a great intro. And I thank you for that because uh, I was trying to think of other examples, as you say, that the bugs live in us, but also on us. So for our listeners, we have a friendly type of staff on the skin that produces uh, protective peptides or parts of proteins that inhibit the growth of bad staph, like staph aureus. So if you have an incision from surgery or a cut, um, or now we think that the microbiome might influence the nervous system and maybe it will lead to drugs that, uh, you know, help with dementia. But there is a term out there called dysbiosis. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I don't even, let me throw in one fun fact before I turn to dysbiosis. Not only is there a biome in us and on us, there's actually a biome around us. We carry a biome cloud, quite literally, that can be measured. Anyone old enough to remember the Peanuts cartoons, there's that little character Pigpen who walks around with that little dust cloud around him. Well, we're that. You just can't yeah. see it. But we carry a dust cloud around with us of bugs. And here's the fun part. Um, it is unique. You ha we all have a unique biome signature, per se, that is now being looked at, I, I swear this is true, in forensics. So not forget leaving fingerprints when you commit a crime. One day, you, Marianne, are going to get busted for your bank heist um, because they're going to suck out. Someone's going to come in with a little vacuum and suck up the air for where you broke into the safe and get a biome signature and say, ah, Dr. Ritchie was here. That is actually, <laughs> that's not present day, but but that's possible. Anyway, that's the uh, one fun fact. I think we're going to have a few fun facts today because that's the nature of the biome. But so you asked specifically about the word dysbiosis. And dys, D-Y-S, is a root we use in medicine for bad. Dysphagia is bad swallowing. Dyslipidemia, bad fats. Um, dys is bad. Um, bad biome. So it quite literally means bad biome. And, but that's a, ba a bad word, actually. And in fact, some smart people have made a case that that's the wrong word because it carries a value judgment that a change in the biome is necessarily negative, that that if you do something and your biome alters, um, it's a dysbiosis. And in fact, it's possible at least that you do something and your biome alters in a more favorable way, not a less favorable way. And barely we even know what is good or bad in a biome. So some people have suggested the alternate term varibiosis, V-A-R-I, varibiosis for, for a non-judgmental sort of alteration in biome rather than this term that implies bad biome. Um, and it probably, there, are, there is bad biomes, but we don't really understand that very well just yet. That's a very interesting point because when I talk about a pathology report from, say, a polyp, and I say to the patient, plasia is the root for cell growth, so normoplasia, all the cells look alike. Dysplasia, I say, think of the, the prefix D-Y-S, like don't dis me. Uh, dysplasia is not usually a favorable prefix. So dysplasia means the cells are starting to change. It's not cancer, but on the way. But that's a very interesting point. Different doesn't always mean uh, pathologic or, or it's going to hurt you. But the reason I think this has exactly. become popular, and you know better than I, is there is a lot of data looking to see if these changes in our biome, we'll use that word maybe, it's a little shorter, um, can 
lead to conditions or disease states like obesity or type 2 diabetes, asthma, inflammatory bowel disease. What do you say about that? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd quibble maybe with the leads to part, the, this precise word you use that this change lead, leads to this disease. I'll certainly acknowledge there's an association, right? That's easy data. And we have unbelievably dense data. If you look at people who are obese, they have a different biome than lean people. Patients with diabetes have a different biome than lean people. Patients with allergies, asthma, dermatitis, Crohn's disease, colitis, have a, autism, um, Alzheimer's, all these patients have different biomes. But is that, first of all, that cause or effect, it's possible that the disease state altered your biome, not that the altered biome necessarily caused your colitis or your Crohn's. Maybe your Crohn's caused your altered biome, exactly. basically. So we have to be mindful of, of cause and, and effect. Association, you, we've heard, there's this old saw, right? Association does not imply causality necessarily. And clearly there's an association with an altered biome. Now, um, that being said, you can track some of these and look at people who are X. And for example, you give someone antibiotics and clear and you remeasure their biome and their biome is different and they get sick with something called C. diff that we're going to talk about next case. But, but that probably is a bad biome, right? You, you gave someone, you did something, a biome changed and a human got sick. One plus one probably equals two, right? That Change biome probably is the cause of someone being sick, but just we have to be mindful that that association is absolutely not not causality. Plus, thinking really stimulates other people to think. Back in 2006, I was reading every paper I get my hands on for today, and there was a paper in 2006 that said, "Yes, mice that have bacteria similar to obese people gain weight more quickly than mice who are infused with." Uh, bugs from that are similar to those in lean patients. And then, well, it was it 2017, the, the researcher said, mm, we're not sure, as you say, chicken or egg. Do the bugs open the door for obesity or does obesity uh, or type of food you eat? But I found a really interesting study. Yeah, no no question. All the- yeah, the, well, just like the, which yeah, just came ahead. out Sorry. July 5th from UC San Diego. Again, West Coast, love it. Um, it's not just the type of foods you eat, but also maybe when you eat and that there's this rhythmic change and they're checking samples through the day, not just 10 o'clock on Wednesday and 10 o'clock on Thursday to get a bigger picture because it's constantly changing. And maybe what we eat, but when we eat might influence, does it influence the circadian rhythm that govern our metabolism? And that might open the door to how is it associated with insulin resistance ebb and flow of your blood pressure, all those kind of things that may be affected, cardiovascular disease, that diurnal rhythm, the circadian rhythm, is that influenced by when you eat? Yeah, no, I do. I do think it's related. I do think it's absolutely related. Mm-hmm. And there's there's endless sort of again more sort of fun facts about that. For example, sailors have a different biome when they go to sea than when they're land based. Um, kids, of course, who grow up in farms, not surprisingly, have a radically different biome than kids who grow up in 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 Oakland, in downtown Oakland, where I am. Um, not good nor bad. I'm not I'm not judging it, but they are certainly radically different. Um, and of course, we give people stuff, and and their biome changes. You mentioned the mice. By the way, I want to bring that up. Um, oh, that we were as simple as mice, because you're you're sort of correct. You're not sort of correct. You're absolutely right that you can transfer basically obesity phenotypes in rodents. You can take a skinny mouse, give it 
give its poop to a, a, a heavy mouse, an obese mouse, and that mouse loses weight. You can take the poop from the obese mouse, put it in the skinny mouse, that mouse gains weight. You can literally transfer an obesity phenotype in, in animals, particularly in mice, by transferring their biome. Now, before you all get excited, you can't take your next door neighbor's skinny poop. None of you who are listening to this call should look around your neighborhood and try to find the skinniest person and say, let me have their poop because it'll make me skinny. That has not been shown in humans. Not, not, very clearly not. But it highlights the, the really critical point of the biome in all of these processes, right? We used to think it was just, right? We were just full and bugs. But, but boy, oh boy, is it clear now that those bugs matter in health and illness. And I think we're going to talk next segment about a particular illness that is the consequence of a bad biome, this infection called C. difficile. Stay with us for the break, and we'll be back with more on the microbiome. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com, info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened. Welcome back to your radio doctor. We're having a fascinating discussion about the gut microbiome. Neil, we talked about um, how the association between the bacteria, viruses, fungi in the bowel might be associated with certain disease states. I, I was listening to a, um, an audio videotape from the Mayo Clinic the other day, and I learned that they're doing work suggesting that different bacteria produce different end products, like short-chain fatty acids. That's not of interest to our listeners, but that maybe those products produced by different bacteria affect gut motility. 
which may open the door to understanding irritable bowel or obesity. I wanted to say that because people are always asking us about irritable bowel and diets for that, which we might have time to talk about later. But I know that you have a very strong interest and experience in fecal microbiota transplantation. In other words, transferring specimens of fecal matter from one person to another, most often from Clostridioides difficile, or the bacteria that arises after taking antibiotics. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so that's this is kind of the fun part of it. C. difficile, we call it C. diff, just for short. Clostridioides difficile, or C. diff, is a bacteria that is all around us, actually. Many of us are colonized with it, certainly in healthcare. Kids are, are often born with it. It's not a big deal because the rest of your bugs kind of keep it in check. And it kind of hides in the corner because you got this whole army of healthy bugs and it can't do anything bad to you. But then at some point in life, we can mess up your army of good bugs, most typically with antibiotics, not always, but most typically antibiotics, sometimes steroids, sometimes chemotherapy, immunosuppression, things like that, alter your ecosystem and your good guys take a hit. And this bad guy, C. diff, is the ultimate opportunist, basically. And it sees an opening and it starts growing out, basically. And it overgrows in your gut. And this little bug that's been hiding in a corner now kind of takes over and can make people very, very sick. Mild diarrhea, severe diarrhea, surgery, death. There's a death rate in our elderly with this as a consequence of this overgrowth of C. diff. And, and it is so clearly a, cons- a consequence mm-hmm. of a bi- biome alteration. So that's step one, right? You alter a biome and then you get sick. Then the second part of this is, okay, the altered biome made you sick. Can we make you less sick by altering your biome again back the way it was, right? That's kind of what we would call, I guess, Koch's postulates in a way, right? That this causes that and we can fix it by by reversing that. Because the traditional treatment for C. diff is more antibiotics, which is maybe the stupidest thing ever, right? You have an illness caused by overuse of antibiotics and we give you more antibiotics to try to fix it. And that is counterproductive. Yeah. So instead, we do this crazy thing called a poop transplant or a fecal microbiota transplant or FMT. And how is that done? Yeah. So, so as, as you said, it's healthy stool from, from a donor. There's actually now stool banks, a couple of them in this country that screen donors, make sure they don't have A, B, C, D, and E, and you know, actually 47 different things. It's not A, B, C, and D. It's, it's every letter of the alphabet and more. We check these, these t- kids, typically they're young, not children, they're, they're teenagers and young adults. We check them for everything known to man. They can't have had um, antibiotics. They can't have had uh, cancer. They can't be obese. They can't have family histories of bad stuff. We take their poop. We we process it. We suspend it in a little glycerol, and then we either put it in a, a, a little Coke can, a little plastic jar, and freeze it, and put it in the mail where it lives in my basement right now, literally. Or we freeze dry it and put it in capsules. Poopsicles are frozen liquid poop, and we have these little poop pills. And not shockingly, the pills, of course, you ingest orally. The the frozen material, we thaw out, and then we do a colonoscopy, a standard thing we do in GI every day. We go to the top of the colon, and we squirt in new poop from some MIT student in the top of your colon. And then we take the camera out and we cross our fingers and it turns out that new poop absolutely does set up shop. You can find the, you can look at bugs that were in the host, bugs that were in the donor. And then two weeks, four weeks, six weeks later, 
you can see the donor bugs in the in the recipient. You can see that those bugs colonize literally, and and you set up shop, and now you got a good new army. That new army beats up the C diff, and ninety percent success in curing C diff, which is extraordinary because antibiotics mm-hmm. are not ninety percent successful in this world. Uh, FMT is probably ninety percent successful, and I, I guess I would just say that this is. This is not an important illness in the, in the scheme of things. C. diff is a relatively uh, uncommon illness. It kills some people. It's not trivial, but numerically, it's not a giant problem. However, this really is to me kind of the proof of concept, right? You have an illness yes. caused by an, a bad biome. You put in a new biome and the illness goes away. And that is magical because that implies that this is real and almost certainly extrapolatable to other things, which I suspect we'll talk about, but but uh, it may not be just C. diff. But that really is the, is the proof of the pudding, so to speak. Sure. So I think what listeners need to hear again is that when you're taking a specimen of from one person to another, you want to maximize the safety of it and make sure there's no hepatitis A, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV, COVID, lots of other uh, unfriendly, unwelcome. 47 other things to be precise. Yes. Yes. Um, Exactly. But we don't reach right for a fecal transplant. What do we do in somebody who's um, maybe uh, on uh, prolonged antibiotics because they have a a chronic infection? Um, Are there other steps before we reach for that if somebody develops C. diff? Sadly, it's just more antibiotics. And there are people talking about using FMT as an initial, as a primary therapy. Right. Mm. It's not, I tend to agree in a lot of ways with that. And when we have a commercial product that's that's relatively inexpensive and safe, we would probably do that. Today, we still just play around with more antibiotics and play around with more antibiotics until finally, there's clear guidelines to this, one of which I help write, which basically says after you recur a second time, basically, mm. you know, not once, you've not recurred once, but we, we did the dance mm. again. You've now recurred a second time. It's now acceptable in this country. The FDA has not approved. That's the wrong semantics. They don't approve it, but they've sort of blessed and allow for FMT for multiply recurrent C. difficile, basically. You have to have recurred a couple of times before we can do it. But within that construct, that's the one thing right now the FDA permits, so to speak. If you want to do it for something other than C. diff, like irritable bowel or Crohn's or anything, we'll talk about that for sure. Um, But you got to do that in a study. You can't just do that. You can't come to my office and get an FMT for that. But you can come to my office and get an FMT for your C. diff. So it's been proven proven effective. Are there any risks outside of what we already discussed? You're going to screen for other unwanted viruses um, or bacteria. Are there any other risks? Yeah, I think there are. I think there are, and we have to pay attention to that. There's actually been a death in this country after an FMT um, from a multi-drug resistant organism that we what that we had not checked for, not me personally, but that had not been checked for. It was not on the list of 47 things we checked for, and we gave it to an immunosuppressed patient, and that patient died. Mm. Um, that's out of, by the way, a denominator of probably 70,000. Wow. So the, the number of FMTs done in this country is well over 60,000. I don't know what the exact number is. So, um, so don't think that that death is um, is a giant number. It's actually a very small number, but but it's a death and we have to pay attention oh, sure. to that. There's also some real concerns that could you alter the biome in a negative way, right? We're doing it because we think we're, we're altering it. And in a C. diff patient, it's almost certainly going to help them. And it does. The data is clear. But is it possible that that, that 
causes some immune stimulation or your body recognizes these new bugs mm. and reacts to it. And in one trial we did actually, a bunch of people got sort of autoimmune illnesses later down the down the road. Now they're all middle-aged women who get autoimmune diseases. So it was may well have been true, true and unrelated. Right. But there's a legitimate concern that biome alteration doesn't have to be helpful. It could at least theoretically be hurtful as well, right? So we have to keep that, I think, very, very front and center. These are not, this is not trivial and shouldn't be, shouldn't be treated that way. So would you say that it's wiser if you're considering an FMT, uh, you ask your doctor about it, to go to a center that has more experience with it? 100%. I think there's nothing hard about the procedure. It's not the right. procedure itself is, is, is trivial. There's nothing complicated. I wish I could tell you that I have these magical hands that only my skill can solve everybody's problem. That's utter nonsense. My hands aren't magical and anybody could, could really do this. It's the nuance, as you mentioned, Marianne, of sort of knowing who, what, where, when, and, and how. I think that's the complicated part. I think I've always learned I, as a student, I remember being taught there, there are great surgeons. There are people who are very good technically and that get the arteries connected perfectly and the organ in place and all that kind of thing. But it's the management. It's deciding who should have what and how you watch them after the surgery, their blood sugars, their, their what antibiotics and, and all those good things that involve are involved. So with the um, stool transplant, we started to talk about uh, C. diff. We have the data that show us that it's effective. Where? What's next? What other conditions might we use that for? Right. So that's the exciting part, right? Well, if it works for this, but I told you this is not a gigantic problem in the world. It's a problem, but but there are bigger problems in this world too. So will this work for other things? And as we mentioned earlier, there's a ton of data that, for example, patients with autism have a different biome than patients without autism. That doesn't mean that giving them a FMT will fix their autism at all, but we want it to. We'd love that to be true. And in fact, there are trials going on in autism right now. The most advanced, that's very early and preliminary, and I'm, I'm not as optimistic as I'd like to be about that. Um, the early, the next wave is clearly going to be what we call IBD or inflammatory bowel disease, which is ulcerative, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. There's really good active data in both of those illnesses. It is looking favorable in a general sense. It's not as favorable as C. diff for sure. It's, it's, we got lucky with C. diff, right? 90% effective with one transplant. That is not going to be the case for any other illness probably. It's going to be less effective and require probably multiple transplants. And in fact, in ulcerative colitis, it's clear that one is not enough. If you're going to do FMT in an ulcerative colitis patient, you probably have to do multiple and repetitive FMTs. We're looking at, at liver disease, uh, hepatic pathology. We're looking at drug resistant organisms. There's a really fascinating area. We'll close with this before we move on to the next one. Patients who receive a certain kind of chemotherapy with what we call immune checkpoint inhibitors uh, for renal cell cancers and melanomas and some other cancers, if you look at people with biome X, they respond, say, well to this kind of chemotherapy. If you look at people with biome Y, they respond really badly. And then if you take mm. people's X poop, you put it in the Y people, you do a fecal transplant and give them that chemotherapy, they respond better. You can transfer chemotherapeutic responsiveness from one human to another based on their flipping biome. I mean, I think that's extraordinary incredible. and very early and we're still figuring that out, but it's, I think it's absolutely incredible. Well, I just want to ask one quick question. You mentioned earlier that healthy young people that haven't gone through chemo or cancer yet and that you're getting uh, specimens from MIT students 
does that mean if I get that specimen, yeah. I'll be smarter? Think about that. We'll be right back after the break. <laughs> <laughs> And now for your real champion, I call this segment, Giving is Receiving. For those of you who are regular listeners, you may recall the story of a real champion from Easter Sunday of 2021. Christy Pelegi Neald, a beautiful young woman who retired from school teaching to raise her two little girls. Christy finds her joy in service, and we learned about her kindness projects. She invites friends and neighbors to be kindness ambassadors, they gather at the Empowering Youth Center in their community. Her teens make various types of gift bags. One week, people donate birthday party essentials like paper plates, napkins, candles, cake mix. She displays the donations on a long table, then volunteers assemble bags with various items and give them to families who otherwise couldn't afford these fixins to plan a birthday party for their children. Her idea grew into other kindness projects, including Valentine's for Veterans, Bags of Hope for Teens in Foster Care, Shamrocks for Seniors Isolated by COVID, Sunshine Bags for Those in Chemotherapy, and one that's especially touching, Blessing Bags for Those Experiencing Homelessness. Through Facebook, she invites volunteers from the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, sports teams, and those making confirmation. In about January of 2021, she noticed that she was craving ice. She might even stop at a fast food store just to get another cup of ice. Her girls couldn't focus on homework because her crunching was so loud. She told her doctor and blood tests were normal on two occasions. Her belly became a bit swollen, but it was summertime, and she said it was probably from the pizza and french fries. Then one day, she saw a Facebook post from a friend she met through volunteering. The friend described her own strong need to eat ice and learned that it can reflect anemia, in specific, iron deficiency anemia. This abnormal craving to eat non-food items like ice or even starch or chalk is called pica. Now, Christie's labs revealed anemia with very low iron stores. In women, it can result from heavy menstrual bleeding, but it can also mean a slow trickle from a silent source in the GI tract. Christy remembered our conversation when she was a champion back in 2021. It was just after the Blue Lights campaign in March. She underwent colonoscopy and it revealed a cancerous growth in the upper part of her colon. Her doctor had the wisdom to recommend genetic testing. She was only 44 years old and had a normal colonoscopy a few short years before. In fact, testing revealed the diagnosis of Lynch syndrome an inherited disorder which can greatly increase the risk for colorectal, uterine, and other cancers. It also causes colon cancer to appear at an earlier age. And though it often comes with a strong family history, neither of her parents had colon cancer. Her mother actually does have the gene for Lynch syndrome, but is one of the 20% who doesn't develop colon cancer. They looked back and learned that her mother's father died when her mom was only two. Upon researching her mother's cousins, Christy learned that at least six of them have had colon cancer. What's remarkable about Christy? After all these years of service with kindness bags for veterans, the elderly, people experiencing homelessness, she now faces her own challenge. And what does she do? While dealing with colon surgery and at the same time a hysterectomy to prevent uterine cancer, 
then multiple rounds of chemo, she is forever the kindness ambassador and posts her own very tough story to help others. So others will know that craving ice can mean a very low iron deficiency anemia, and others will remember to learn their family history. Christy Pelegi Neald is special for many reasons. When we spoke last week, I was overwhelmed by her expression of gratitude. She feels lucky that her surgery is behind her and relieved with every good checkup. Grateful for the support of her wonderful husband who comes home every day smiling. And remember all the people she brought together in the community? They have overwhelmed her with support. Meals, gift cards, they are her village. They even organized a private Facebook page so Christy could watch her girls play sports when she had to stay home with chemo. You can't be happy if you're not grateful. And Christy embodies the principle of giving is receiving. Christy says, I'm so lucky. With the help of my mom and friends, my husband and I can continue daily life with our girls, business as usual. We can all be uplifted and learn from the power of Christy's gratitude. We salute you, Christy Pelegi Neal, your real champion. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com, info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor with more about the gut microbiome. Neil, let's talk about probiotics. That's big in the news. Patients ask me all kinds of questions. Yeah. So like we talked about the word dysbiosis, I guess we could argue with the word probiotic, right? Good bacteria. That's the concept, certainly. But again, do we know what that good bug is and and what, how often to take it and what form and what dose? We really don't. So we're starting to take some guesses. And of course, you can go to Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and there'll be 10,000 products on the shelves. And they're currently engaged in what I kind of call the billions war. So, you know, so product X came out and we have 
six billion bugs. And so then product Y had to come out with nine billion bugs and the next product has 15 billion bugs. And the next we're in this arms race of numbers and the numbers are absurd and they don't mean anything. And as you probably know, Marion, they're not even accurate. People have actually looked at, this is an unregulated market. As you mentioned, this is an unregulated market. You can put a bug in a jar and sell it in a store and say, Hi, it's Bill's Probiotics, and it contains 10 billion species of E. coli or something. And no one cares if that's true or not. No one, no one important cares if that's true or not. Right. So we've done that study. Go to the store, buy 10 different jars of bugs, take them home, and go to the, take them to a lab and say, "Is do they have in them what they say they have in them?" And the answer is ridiculously no. That often they have bugs in them that aren't on the label. Often the bugs that are, are on the label are not in the product. They're rarely in the dose that are that are um, provided are they living are they dead um, it's it's a poor market and the data that any commercial probiotic is going to enhance your health is very very poor it's very very weak there are a few scenarios where we do have strong data infants with for example necrotizing enterocolitis do well with with real probiotics uh, humans with something called pouchitis after colon surgery do well with with uh, Probiotics, but the the belief that you're going to generally make yourself healthier by taking pill X, Y, or Z from store X, Y, or Z is total wishful thinking. I wish it was true, but it's just not. So two things, as you mentioned, these products are not regulated. So for our listeners, that means medications, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, cause uh, have drug companies go through multiple steps to assure efficacy that they're that they're beneficial and that they're uh, free of harm or, you know, few side effects. That's not happening with probiotics. And I've had some patients say, I always, always triple check. Good point. Time to say this. Tell me what medications you're taking. Tell me what you buy over the counter and take. Herbs, supplements can make a huge difference in symptoms, interactive with other drugs. I always beg my patients, tell me everything. But the other point I wanted to make, one of the common questions my patients ask me if the balance of my gut bacteria may contribute to obesity, should I take a probiotic to help me lose weight? And we say, as we said earlier, yes, gut bacteria are different in lean people from obese people, but we're not sure if there's a chicken or an egg here, right? And more importantly, Correct. weight gain, or I guess another idea is weight gain may be a function of energy balance. Maybe some of the bugs we're talking about in the bowel uh uh, extract energy from our diet differently. And that might be a key. Um, trillions of bacteria may or may not be associated with certain medical disorders, but probably the end result, if you want to lose weight and have a healthier gut microbiome overall, lots of fruits and veggies, limit fat, limit sugar, and animal protein. And so patients also ask, should I give my children a probiotic? Same answer. Yes. Yes. So- yeah, so I guess the ma- the bigger question is right. What can I do to make my biome healthier? Right, I want a healthy biome. What can I do as a, as a patient, as a consumer, mm-hmm. do to make my biome healthier? And I'll, I'll highlight that we don't even. I mentioned earlier we don't even know what healthier really means. That's a loaded sure. term, right? What's a healthier yeah. biome? We say that, but we don't really know what that means. I think one of the truisms, though, that I think the data is consistent and reproducible is that a more diverse biome is healthier than a less diverse biome, meaning more 
diversity of species, how many different species there are. And not surprisingly, things like antibiotics and steroids and chemotherapy constrict the diversity of our biome. They narrow the, the diversity. They kill bugs. So there are less, if, if I have 2,000 different species of bacteria in me, and then I take antibiotics, I may, may now only have 1,500 species of bacteria in me. And that and my biome is less diverse and that is correlated with less health. So as a very gross and glo global answer, diversity is good. And it's good in your community, of course, too, right? It's nice to live in a diverse community. But internally as well, we want diversity. And it turns out to get a diverse biome, you have to, you have to do a lot of things. Um, and it's not one thing. It's not, oh, drink take a line every day. Well, if you if you take a line every day, you'll buff up your bifido infantis, which is what is in a line. You will buff up that one bug. But that's really not the best strategy. And and now I'll kind of rattle off some things that we think do work. Um, so fermented foods or living foods, right? Um, uh, what I call sort of biome enhancing foods. Um, kefir or kefir, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I hip, my hipster children will yell at me. Uh, K-E-F-I-R is a drinkable yogurt with very good bacteria in it. Sure. Kombucha, which is a fermented fizzy tea drink with good bacteria. Miso, uh, unpasteurized pickles, unpasteurized sauerkraut, kimchi. Um, all of these living foods are really good for us. And a diversity of them is favorable. Fabulous study out of Stanford six months ago, eight months ago, something like that. Basically randomized some people to either a high fiber diet, which is what we've talked about for 30 years, right? 40 years. Eat more fiber, eat more fiber. You'll be healthy. You'll be healthy. Versus a, a diet high in fermented foods. Now, to be clear, it was six servings a day of fermented foods. That's a lot. That's not easy to do. But in the trial, that's what it was. And the people who got the fermented food intervention had better markers of biome health than in, inflammatory markers and the like than the fiber people, actually, which is sort of counter, you know, our world has been fiber driven. The people who ate six, again, six servings a day of fermented food is challenging. But nonetheless, in this trial, those patients had an improved profile in their biome. And I think that's the best approach. A diversity, different foods, not just one. Don't just buy a gallon of kefir and drink kefir every day. Drink kefir today. Drink kombucha tomorrow. Have some non-pasteurized sauerkraut the next day. Eat apples. Fruits are very good and full of bugs, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so a diversity of food intake really does matter. By the way, other things matter too. Pets matter. Pets enhance our children. You wanted to ask about, should I give my kid a probiotic? Every mother on the planet's going to yell at me right now. And every child on the planet's going to send me a thank you card give him a because puppy. get your kid a pet. Yeah. <laughs> get your kid a pet. That is yes. absolutely a health beneficial intervention. Yes. So when your kid says they want a puppy, Sorry, mom, but you should get him a darn puppy. Um, yeah. Things like that are actually help. Breastfeeding is healthy, actually, for biome sure. uh, issues. So, so I remember we we were. I was going to catch you for a minute as well because um, we know that those first three years of life, uh, the microbiome, excuse me, the microbiome, kind of a set for your adult years, isn't it? Isn't it a, a large influence? So, with your children, you're not going to give them the same yogurt every day and the same. Try to mix it up. Even from the very beginning, yes? Exactly that. Mix it up. Yep. Mix it up. Mm -hmm. Boom. And we we were talking about babies who are delivered vaginally versus those C-section that trip through the vaginal canal that exposes a child to the mom's uh, microbiome of the vaginal canal is lost if a child is born through C-section. 
What are they doing about that now? Yeah, fabulous data there. So exactly as you said, Marianne, right? Vaginal birth is a is a healthy thing for a child. They get they get colonized from mom's vagina, um, and if they are born cesarean, they miss that route. They they bypass it. So what we do frequently is literally as mom is having her section, put some gauze pads in mom's vagina. When the baby's born, goes over to the table, the warming table, and gets cleaned off. Instead of just cleaning off that baby. Um, swab it with the gauze pads that were in mom's vagina. And we have shown that you can, in fact, colonize that kid with mom's bugs, basically. But what we've not shown yet is that you can enhance their health as teenagers or get them into Harvard, but you can, in fact, uh, fix that problem or end around that problem simply by swabbing that kid with mom's, with gauze pads soaked in mom's vagina. Wait, let me just say, St. Joe's is a whole lot more fun than Harvard, but- I will say that. So it cuts it comes down to a healthy, varied diet and cautious use of antibiotics. We talked about that when you were on with diverticulitis. We're hoping that we could get people through an acute episode with Tylenol and stool softeners and clear liquid diet until their pain just walks away. Absolutely. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap up with Dr. Neil Stallman. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Corey Ritchie, Chief Executive Officer, Recovery Centers of America at Lighthouse, New Jersey, and one of your addiction experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about DBT, or Dialectical Behavior Therapy. DBT is often used in addiction treatment to teach skills, and these skills could be for emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and behavior change. One of the main principles of DBT is mindfulness. So mindfulness techniques encourage you to acknowledge your unwanted thoughts and your behaviors without judgment. When you're practicing mindfulness, you're paying attention to what's happening in the present moment. Oftentimes in substance use and in daily life, we jump to conclusions that are not fact-based. What dialectical behavioral therapy teaches us is to actually take it one moment at a time, ground yourself, and make a decision from there. When you make that decision, that is playing into your distress tolerance. So how you react to a potential trigger in your life is distress tolerance. When you utilize mindfulness, it helps you to regulate the emotions that you're feeling as a result of that and to get through it and practice more effective and healthy ways to interact with yourself and with others. In increasing your tolerance for distress, and learning to accept these situations and feelings, it assists you in refraining from your destructive coping mechanisms. Oftentimes in substance use, that can lead to relapse when you aren't practicing those techniques. It helps you to establish new skills in your addiction recovery and decrease your urges and cravings. If you or one of your loved ones need help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's rcaradiodr.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. 
Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com, info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And welcome back to your radio doctor in our wrap-up segment, which we call Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech. Dr. Neil Stallman, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I wanted to fit in one last question before we do our wrap-up. Biome testing at home, is that in the near future that, that patients are, will be able to test their stool samples at home? Well, they, yeah, it's in the present, few, present tense if you want to. You can, you can find Google that in 30 seconds and you'll find a dozen companies that for anywhere from $100 to $300 will take, mm. you, take some of your poop and then send you back a 87-page chart and graph and colors. And it's beautiful. And it's a list, right? They'll give you a list of the bugs that are in you. So you can spend money and get a lot of lists. Now, that's Accurate and I'm sure they're telling you the right bugs. Here's the real problem with that. We don't have a clue what to do with that list. That list is a field guide. It's as if I said, tell me every bird in the Amazon rainforest. And you gave me an Excel spreadsheet with a thousand different birds that live in the Amazon rainforest. Do I know anything about the Amazon rainforest? I don't think I do. I think I know the thousand birds that live there, but I don't know how they get along with each other. I don't know how they get along with ground squirrels or grubs or trees. Um, I just know the names of the thousand birds that live there. And that's what you're going to get if you send your poop in. They may pretend to tell you stuff. They may say, oh, these are good guys and these are bad guys. And if you eat more of this, you'll have more of that. And if you, it's nonsense. It's absolutely non-actionable. So I would actually strongly encourage our listeners to not spend their money, spend that money on the healthy foods um, rather than spending it on a biome test, unless you like pretty graphs, because you'll get pretty graphs, but I would challenge that you can do anything about it. I, I wonder why that's allowed to happen. Just like Tanny Booth's, we know it bumps the risk for melanoma by 75%, especially if you do it in your young, in your teen years. Why aren't these things outlawed? I mean, that's a lot of money. And Yeah, this just wastes money, at least. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't cause you cancer, but it wastes a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, so what are a few good take-home messages for our listeners? Yeah. So, so we talked about diversity. I'll talk about uh, one. We don't know what the heck we're doing. Let's start with that, right? We know there's bugs. We don't know. Is it bacteria? Is it viruses? Is it phages? Is it the bile salts they metabolize, as you mentioned? All of these things. Mm, um, it, it's a very complicated soup. It's not just a list of bugs. We know that kind of diversity of, of that soup is better than lack of diversity of that soup. Um, we know that a, a diet rich in fermented living foods is a really good way to augment that diversity and probably promote health, which is very important. Uh, generally speaking, we know that commercial store-bought probiotics don't generally uh, make us healthier. That, that, again, you'd be much better off, I think, spending your money on food for that. Um, and we know that one illness, C. difficile, is fixable by bacteriotherapy, if you will, or biome restorative therapy. There's lots of names for this. FMT, the poop transplant, um, fixes one illness with unbelievably sound science. This illness caused by a bad biome, fixed by biome restoration. 
the fun part of this whole thing is what's next to me. Um, uh, that's great. That's the proof of concept, right? That's really the proof of this concept. Now the exciting next decade is going to be what, what the heck else besides that? Well, Neil, we again have learned so much from our conversation today. And if people want to read more, I know you have a very helpful website called neilstallman.com. That's Neil is your first name, N-E-I-L. Yeah, www.neilstallman.com. Mm-hmm. S-T-O-L-L-M-A-N.com. Yeah, neilstallman.com. Beautiful. And if people want to read your Twitter comments, what would they visit? Uh, at Dr. Stolman, D-R-S-T-O-L-L-M-A-N, uh, at D-R-S-T-O, no punctuation, no Neil, just at Dr. Stolman is my Twitter, which is my medical voice. Well, Neil, thank you once again. What a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Marianne. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday at five here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show again, The Champion, The Addiction Prevention Tip, or any of our shows on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Keep those blue lights coming. You heard the story of your real champion today. Christy had a symptom, and because she read a Facebook post from someone else who shared their story about craving ice, she learned it can cause anemia, and this can be a sign of a slow, hidden GI bleed. She remembered the Blue Lights campaign, and it reminded her that colon cancer can occur in younger people. See how your Blue Lights can make a difference. Put a strand of Blue Lights on the front of your home or business. Be the one who starts the conversation in your neighborhood. That colon cancer is common. It's equal in men and women. In fact, more people die of colon cancer than breast cancer. And cases are rising in younger people. So the new screening age for average risk is 45, maybe younger if you have a family history of colon cancer or polyps. Now, take advantage of the longer days since our clocks have changed last week. Get out there and take a walk. It can add years to your life. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com, info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened.